Hello, everyone, and welcome to another American Scouser podcast. I am your host, Timuchin, as always, and with us is our usual crew with the now infamous jersey and the lucky jersey everybody should own. Galley is with us. Galley, what's happening, man? It's a great week, guys. Nothing better than uh, drubbing United and maybe making a classless person like Simeone look even more classless midweek. You just can't get uh, yeah, much better than that. And wait, what a, can you mention drubbing United? What a freaking week, man. I mean, it's never thought we'd be – last week, this time, never thought we'd be talking about this. Even someone like Bickler cannot probably find something wrong with this week. Right, Bickler? What's happening? I'm honestly just here for the trivia. <laughs> and, well, there we go. Right away, we'll jump with the trivia. A lot to talk about, obviously, with, I mean, yesterday's game and somehow uh, within the last 24 hours, I think I managed to watch that thing another couple of times, uh, not to mention, like, countless videos and everything like that. Just, uh, and we'll we'll talk about that because, I mean, that game means a lot more to me than anything else. And have I been having fun with my brother? Okay, uh, so let's start with the trivia, as always, because that's the best part for Bickler. And this week's trivia is going to go with yesterday's game. Uh, so a bazillion records that he broke, by the way, saw yesterday. Uh, and as a team, we did as well. But he was the first Liverpool player to score uh, a hat-trick, actually, over there. So now the question is... The, who is the only there are only two players who scored actually a hat trick in the Premier League against United? Can you guys tell me who the other player is? And as a bonus tiebreaker, when it was, uh, obviously, we're gonna start with you, Victor. I don't even know why you're waiting to see who we're gonna start with. <laughs> obviously, we're starting with you. like I like you how guys you guys pilots. You guys are such dicks. All right, so you said two players. Uh, yes. So after Salah, there is one other player who has scored a hat trick against United in the Premier League. Who oh, is man. the player? And yeah, this, there's some... do it as the tiebreaker. So already some good guesses coming in, but let's see if the answer is there. Big there are some good ones. Oh God, I'll go Van Persie, 2007. Van Persie? No, no it has to be a little bro. Oh, I thought you said other. Okay. All right, I thought you said Premier League player that was no, no, no. Liverpool. Liverpool player uh, scoring a hat trick in the Premier League against United. Uh, aside from Salah yesterday, well, I know, I actually know this one. I think I think it is. It's dirt count, right? I know, man. I'm asking you. No, I I think it is. Yeah. I'm trying to think of the year though. It would have been yeah, 2000. Be my guess. No, I think and I think it's 2000. Oh man, I don't think it was seven. It was after that. Two thousand nine, I'll guess. I'll go. I don't know. Two thousand nine, ish. He says two thousand nine, ish. He throws in there at the end, ish. Yep. What do you have, Galdi? What ish do you have? I'm gonna say it was in the, um, it was two thousand eight oh nine season. I don't know if it was the first half of the year or second half, but I think it was two thousand eight. Um, but it was Dirk Cout that had the other hat trick. It was Dirk indeed. I, I don't even know if I want to count this because we had uh, many of our listeners already give you guys the answer. And the year was 2011. March 2011 was the other hat trick scored against United. So I told you guys this would be 
closed. Uh, David Cosgrove says he actually was there. And he says he ripped his jeans, which, you know, when it's Cosgrove involved, it's a very believable story. I would believe, I would believe that and run with that. So that was this week's trivia. And I told you guys, you guys would get it. But then when I do that, it's patronizing or whatever. So I'm going to have to find something tougher next week. So let's talk about this week. Normally, we go with kind of like in a order with time in terms of which game was first and stuff. And I do want to get to the Atletico Madrid game and talk about that. Maybe we should not say Madrid a lot of times on the podcast because Real Madrid on Facebook uh, got offended by our podcast last week when we were not even talking about them, but whatever. Uh, so, but because of the game yesterday, the scope of it, how it went down, and probably the implications that are going to come with it now, let's start with yesterday's game. Holy shit is all I could say. I've never expected that. I mean, you guys know me. I worry as a lifestyle. And after, you know, I saw the lineup, my regular amount of worry doubled. And I know, you know, there was a lot of talk during the week uh, in terms of, you know, we should be crushing them. We're like that a team. And we were in better form. And they are in shambles. They kind of been doing all kinds of the stuff. But when these two teams, especially Old Trafford, even the, the when we ran away with the title, it was like a struggle at Old Trafford. So I was already worried. Seeing the lineup made me even more worried. So let's start with that because that's probably the biggest talking point. At least it was in our Discord chat, the fan chat. That if you have not joined, by the way, please do because we had definitely a lot of fun this week. But uh, so Bigler, let's start with you. We see this lineup come out. Uh, Fabinho has a late knock, and that's obviously affects the entire midfield, but we were kind of short. And I guess the biggest – let us let me get your take first, and then I want to ask you guys some like, specifics as well. What do you say, or what did you say when you saw the lineup? Uh, I mean, my first thought was Klopp either really loves Kanate or he really hates him. Uh, I mean, because that's a hell of a spot start there. I mean – and to me, like my gut reaction to this was, I think this is like, I mean, I'm probably reading way too much into this, but my gut reaction was, this is what you do when you believe a player is the future. You pick, you pick a big spot for him and see if he's capable of the moment. And if he is, that way you can neatly shuffle him in and that's your future. And you can – I'm like not to say they're closing the door on Matip because I think Matip's been our best defender all year. But, I mean, to me that's – you only do that if you very strongly believe that this guy's your future. That was kind of like a – I mean, no Matip was kind of a shock. And I know he did not have a great game against like midweek. And we kind of talked about playing him way too many times can be – painful to everybody involved uh, in the long run. So I could see why he wouldn't be there, but Gally shocked to see not Gomez probably like, for example, be there. I know we per perhaps did not want Ronaldo picking on Gomez. Uh, whereas, you know, Kanade not only has the speed, but has the size as well. Was Nico on the bench yesterday? I can't even remember. I didn't look at the, the, um, the graphic you had up there really close. You know, um, if you no look there, Nico's not available. So I can understand keeping uh, um, keeping Gomez on the bench because he's really your cover for Trent should something happen and you need a, and you need to sub him off for an injury. Um, clearly Milner uh, will get to playing a 35-year-old three times in a week and then being surprised he can't make it 60 minutes. 
Um, and with Gomez uh, not being back to full fitness, and I do think that when we've seen him, he's looked tentative. And I think part of the reason that Kanate was in that match last night or yesterday afternoon was so that on the set plays, should the game be closed, on set plays, Virgil did not have to man-mark Ronaldo. Because Virgil has been beaten a few times. If there's one thing that I've seen, it's his quickness. Like his, It's not his overall speed, but sometimes his initial quickness of making cuts and moves, it's still getting back to his full form. And I think having Kanate there was to absolutely bully Ronaldo. And he did it. He threw him to the ground early in the match, and Anthony Taylor gave him a nice, you know, get-up wave. Um, you know, there's that great scene later when we when we get to Ronaldo's petulant axe at the half, you know, where Kanate walks into that group, and the entire scrum looks like they're all about, like, three and a half feet shorter, and they just kind of look like like they're, like it was like a, a fight amongst the six-year-old kids in a soccer match where 11 people buzz around the pitch together, and then the coach walked over and just separated <laughs> everybody. Um and he's just an absolute mountain of a man. And on top of that, he has touch and class. I mean, he had that through ball that almost set Mo in early on in the first half. And I was like, wow, if he's going to be able to make um, plays like that as he gets more and more comfortable, you know, we all said we bought one for the future, but he might be a big part of our present as well. And I'm with Paul. I think this was a moment to set up that this is his job to earn by the second half of the season. And I expect him to do it. Yeah, that was, I mean, obviously it was like a risky call because just did not know. I was more worried about, I mean, David Cosgrove says, for example, you know, with his pace, obviously it kind of like enables us to play that high line a lot better. But Gomez has the pace too. And I thought, you know, I was more worried that he would be tentative and sometimes like mess up the line and stuff like that because of that. And I was, I mean, extremely impressed with obviously how he played and I guess how crappy United was kind of like helps the cause. But so let's look at the midfield next. And then we'll kind of like talk about the long-term implications for our, I guess, squad, especially when it comes to Conrad and stuff. But so obviously Fabinho not being there makes the midfield shuffle. So what is your gut feeling, Bickler? If Fab is not there, who out of the three would not normally start? You think Milner or Keita? Yes, the cut because Keita, which we will go back to afterwards, uh, we still don't know like exactly how injured he is. But when we talked about the Atletico Madrid game, we're gonna go back to Keita as well. Uh, so, what is your gut feeling on that? Who would have you think taken the cut to make room for Fab? Well, I'd like to think it was Milner, considering the fact that you just genuinely don't want to play him three days and eight games. Like, and I know we've been playing him a lot, but I think at his age, like. I'm using this as a fullback cover on the bench uh, or even late mid cover. I also don't love what Henderson and Milner generally do to each other in the midfield. They seem to negate each other's games. Mm -hmm. uh, that being said, they certainly didn't do that on the night. So yeah, that's, but that's who, that's who it would be for me. Uh, what do you think, Gally? I would say, I, 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 mean, I think I was saying it in our, even in our discord chat midweek, when Kata got subbed off and everyone was talking about it and then Klopp made all the comments and we'll get to that about the Atletico match. But I made some comments that I actually was, I thought part of the tactical reason to take him off might've been that he was intending on starting him right away and didn't want to try to play Kata twice in five days, you know, 90 minute matches because of his injury record. I think Kata was going to start that match because I think Jurgen Klopp wanted to set up with his best pressing and attacking 
front and midfield. And that includes Keita and that includes Bobby Firmino. And those are the two reasons. And I think it also includes Jota now. And I think that's why we saw the three of them. We'll get to the front three. But I think Milner would have gotten, uh, would have been on the bench. And who knows if Milner's on the bench, maybe then Gomez is starting at center back. We'll never know. Um, but I guess we don't have to question it because we went out to Old Trafford and you could argue we were like four or five of our best 11 that we believe were our starting 11 on opening day this year. And we wiped the floor with them. And to Cosgrove's point, they really did show their true colors yesterday. They were absolute frauds, stealing a paycheck and absolutely, whether they mean to or not, they're trying to get their manager sacked, which is the absolute worst thing that could happen to us as supporters. I know, reading all this news, I was like, shit, man, maybe we should have stopped at three or something because really don't want this gone guy gone. Because if you look at the squad, I mean, if they look at their lineup, I mean, look at their bench. They got like all that money spent sitting on the bench. Uh, and then they're still studying McTominay and Fred, which I know drives United fans crazy. But, I mean, before we, I guess, dissect them, I know Darren O'Connor, uh, one of our, you know, listeners, and he's actually has a great podcast himself with ATX. And, you know, his point of them not pressing properly, that has to be a coaching thing, right? I mean, obviously, it doesn't happen overnight, and it's a lot of practice and it's a lot of like analysis that makes you, you know, what triggers it and all that kind of stuff. A lot goes into pressing. It's not just running more as like, you know, some people like newer to the sport might think. So, I mean, do we blame the players for this fiasco or the coaching? I mean, we're enjoying it either freaking way, Paul, but I mean, is it a concern that if somebody with a brain or some tactical knowledge comes in charge, I mean, United can get some resurgence with this squad? Listen, like, I mean, no matter how bad you want to claim United is as a team, like in terms of just quality, like the quality shouldn't ever be beaten 5-0 by us, in my opinion. Uh, that's not to say we're not better than them. It's just 5-0, like there's just fundamental breakdowns, like – I think the blame lays on both parties. I think the players didn't play great. I think there's a huge blame that's got to go on Ole. You mentioned it. Huge money on the bench. Players that you went out and bought, right? So you would assume that if you go on buy these players, you know what you're supposed to do with them. Like this team has been handcuffed by Pogba for years, trying to pigeonhole them into a 4-2-3-1. Like there's been no flexibility on formation from the United side. And you look at this team – and you've got a team that plays fairly well. I mean, really, their bread and butter is counterattack. Like, that's what they're best at doing. And you're playing a Liverpool side. If they have an Achilles heel, it's being countered. And what do you do? You go and try to beat them with a high press. And that just blows my mind. Like, I don't know I don't know where, like, in what meeting room, on what whiteboard you were looking at this game and thought, let's take what we do best and shelve it for another tactic – <laughs> when what you do best is the only thing that beats you. Like it's the, that's the only thing that would have beaten us. So in uh, in the weird thing is they put out the players to beat us by count. Like that is the side that you put out. If you want to beat us by counter pressing, like those are the players that you use, you use sheer pace. And like, it just doesn't make any sense, man. You plug Rashford in who's cold, who hasn't played in forever. You bench Pogba. So you got a pissed off Pogba, and then you decide at 4-0 this is the appropriate time to sub him in. And, of course, he makes a boneheaded move. He's already pissed off. Like, I don't know. Like, to me, from a management standpoint, it's a fail from top to bottom. 
And it's amazing getting online today and seeing the amount of support from the United side of people that still want him in that position. It's wild. I think that comes with hiring like an ex-player because fans have a tough time distinguishing the dude as a coach and the dude as a player and don't want to really go at him like they did with Mourinho and stuff like that, who obviously is a better coach than Ole. I mean, obviously, his United experiment was a disaster as well. But because of what the guy did as a player, I think it kind of like it becomes a bit delusional or the person gets a lot more chances than they should. Normally, I think any other coach in there that wasn't an ex-player would get the entire blame, but I see it fired all over the place to the players and stuff like that. And to, you know, David Jennings' point, obviously they have like a lot bigger issues from the top, you know, all the way to the bottom uh, with some of the signings. I mean, Ronaldo, they pretty much signed so that he wouldn't go to City and things like that. But I think along with that, it just creates a lot of problems within the club because, I don't, you know, you can kind of tell that team on the field does not have a true leader. And I think uh, Bickler, when you did your ratings – you know, you were asking about like, you know, uh, who, like what our favorite moment was and that fight in the 45th minute uh, when he was freaking like kicking Curtis Jones on the ground. The reaction to that was probably my favorite part where almost the entire team of Liverpool was there and there were only like two, three Manchester United players. And I think that to me, it just shows the difference between the, where the two clubs are right now, where you have a team on one side and you have a bunch of really good players on the other side. And if they suddenly click and do something crazy, like magical, they win, they come back, they do all these things. But overall, it's just not a team. Gally, what is your take in terms of, you know, uh, maybe enjoy this a lot longer, mind you, but what is your take in there, like uh, well, the reasons behind I agreed with what Jennings and Cosgrove were saying, actually. You know, our, our two Davids are on fire today in our comment section, uh, helping spin this out for us. At the same time, um, there's no way, any way in hell, anyone at United truly believed the re-signing of Cristiano Ronaldo was good for the long-term standing of the club and or its players and only as manager. Yet they did it anyways, because they're not actually worried about a club. They're worried about a business model. And it is fair to say, you know, it's why sometimes the folks that kill FSG do it too. But the Glazers have a bottom line that is about making money. And as long as they're getting in top four, which Ole's done since he's been there, they're accomplishing goal number one every year. Now, the diehard Man United fan, they don't want to hear that. I don't believe Ole Gunnar Solskjaer wants to hear top four is acceptable. And I think he said the right things. He's not tactically equipped to do the job. That's their fault for hiring him. Mismanagement. Hire, signing of players. Mismanagement. You spend $90 million after two years to get Jaden Sancho, and he can't get off the bench for Liverpool for your biggest match. He was the missing piece. It's all we heard for years. He was what they needed. Him, Rashford, and Greenwood would be the future. What do they do? They start Ronaldo in every match. They play Ronaldo for 90 minutes with 10 men when he's giving you no effort, which ultimately means they were carrying three passengers with only 10 men on the field. You had Cavani, you had, and you had, uh, you have Cavani and you have Ronaldo out there at the same time doing nothing past the halfway mark 
and you're playing with 10 guys. It's just ludicrous. If there was ever a moment for a mid, another midfielder or to give Donny Van de Beek some time, right? If there was ever a time to utilize your squad, it would have been yesterday. And instead, he was like, no, we're going to try to find a way to get one goal in this match. Rather than lose 5 nothing. I'd rather lose 6-1. to one. I'll put on Cavani, a poacher. You know, they have no effort. They have no reason. And they went away from everything they were building. And I could not be happier about it. Yeah, I mean, regular listeners of the podcast know, you know, I have a brother who is a United fan. And, you know, I loved how he was playing really coy, by the way, like during the day as we like when we found the game live. Fenerbahce happened to be playing at the same time. Uh, they actually kicked off like half an hour afterwards. And so, like, I'm messaging, you know, I'm like, oh, Mo Salah and stuff like that. He's like, oh, what is it? Is it still 2-0? I'm like, dude, get the hell out of here. Like, you don't know the freaking score, not getting notifications nonstop about what's going on. So, I mean, it was like. I know, actually, I think David Cosgrove himself uh, made a post in our, you know, like Facebook group on LFC America about, you know, uh, how overall, maybe for the people of the city, the Everton game might be bigger. But in terms of like rivalries, I would say for most, at least, Liverpool fans, I think this is the bigger game. I know for me, it is automatically just because I have a jackass brother who roots for United. And it's a lot of bragging rights and a lot of months of like trash talking. And, but I never expected this game to be. I mean, I I knew we were the better team. Just be the game being at Old Trafford kind of concerned me because we did not really play well there normally. Uh, and just because of the rivalry, like kind of like the form, I I knew they well. Actually, I thought they'd be up for this game and stuff like that. But I mean, shit, this was like not only as comfortable as the Watford game, uh, ten times more fun. Uh, to watch than the Watford game just because, I mean, seeing Alex Ferguson's face then scanning onto Dagwish, which, you know, is a just a freaking genius shot uh, that like 15 seconds of golden TV right there. It was just like amazing. But Bickler, I mean, do you kind of take this as, because Klopp really downplayed it as well to his credits. Was it really a great Liverpool, a shitty United, or kind of like a little bit of a combination? I'm sure it's a little bit of both. I mean, that's just generally the way sports work in general. Like when there's a huge blowout between two sides, that's at the pro level, that's generally the case. Uh, but I mean, I think the emphasis can be on how great Liverpool were for sure. Uh, I mean, from an attacking standpoint, uh, I think most Salah's like, I wrote about this a little bit. Like I think I'm most Salah's at a level that like I haven't seen since Suarez where like players around him are just better by sheer proximity. Like he's like straight up raising the level of everybody around him, um, which I think is like a, a pretty rare thing to see um, at that level. Um, he's unplayable right now. Everybody knows he's turning onto his left and he can still do it. And if he can, he can still turn it on his right and tuck it in from an impossible angle. Um, and that's even if you get in front of him, you know, that's not to include the long balls that are getting pinged over the top to him. Um, the movement across the board, I thought was incredibly sharp. And man, let's give it to Nabby. Like Nabby was incredible yesterday in terms of just like on the break. I think what has kind of tripped me up with Nabby is like I'm a believer that he's a quality player and that he's a good player. I don't believe he's trash. I don't believe he's a bum. I don't believe like we swung and missed on him. I do believe it took some adjustment in terms of the physicality of the league. I do think, and this is the one thing I will say about him. I think when we purchased him, 
we thought we were getting the next Conte and we were getting, I think we got a little more Coutinho than we bargained for. And the fact that he's just, he sometimes struggles on one-on-one defending and don't give me the fucking tackle numbers for the year. I know that he leads the team in tackles, but I'm talking, if you're actually watching him, he struggles in one-on-one defending. He's really, really good going forward. He has the killer turnover in really bad places on the pitch. He'll turn it over. I'll cough it up in really bad spots, but he also will intercept the ball in really critical areas and start the counter. And that's what he did versus United. He was winning everything uh, in really, really key spots. Um, and his movement was incredible. Um, and generally I think he plays better on the left, but I mean, he was, he was just on fire on the right. So here's the hope and he's okay. And we see more of that. Um, like, I, I think we have to give ourselves a little credit. We were, we were incredible. So I'm going to get to Keita, but let me come to you with the same question, Gally, like in terms of, do you think, um, it was us or them or a combination Then I want to kind of go into the Keita conversation. Cause I mean, I have been, you guys know, kind of like probably the most critical out of us three of Keita and what he does. And I think we have something that, yeah, I, I and maybe it's actually it's funny that you brought up the name Coutinho because that's what I was like gonna like mention. But before we get to that Keita conversation, because that will kind of lead us into the Atletico Madrid too. What is your overall like feeling in terms of what caused this beauty, Galley? Uh, well, I, I I think that it was a mixture. I would say that was a really good performance, and we shouldn't be critical of Liverpool because United were dogs and we took advantage. We are an amazing team of attacking players who, when playing in unison, can look like poetry in motion. And it looked like that yesterday. And a lot of that was due to, well, the fact that Luke Shaw and Harry Maguire play on the left side of United's defense. But it was also because our players were prepared, set up, had a game plan, and executed it. And I think that gets overlooked when a team puts in a stinker like United did yesterday. Tottenham put in a stinker. Similar to United, if you watch their match against West Ham. But West Ham was not clinical. West Ham did not have world-class players buzzing all over the pitch. And in a rivalry game playing at home, they were able to squeak out a goal and they won one nothing. A great win in a London derby. But you don't go to United and win 5 nothing just because United were bad. You do that because you played your brand of football and did it right. And I think Klopp got everything right from his starting lineup to his tactics, you know, he was forced into two substitutions because of the injuries. As far as Keita goes, you know, we disagree, Timuchin, as far as his overall value. Um, I don't think he was as nearly as open in possession yesterday. I think you mentioned two, three times. I saw one, and he raised his hand right away. You were right. Rashford got in and placed one over the bar. Uh, to Paul's point, he'll often turn the ball over. It does appear to be in the wrong place. I think to Paul's point earlier – one of the reasons he looked really good playing on the right that he did yesterday was is Mo Salah is at a point now where he is just helping everyone. I mean, there were a couple pieces of exchanges between the movement between Mo, Keita, Hendo, Trent, Bobby down that wing that was just beautiful and special. Uh, led to one of, I think, the second goal, the Jota goal, where, um, where Trent whips the ball across and Jota taps it in. So I, I just really feel that we saw a lot of great performances yesterday. Nabby being, you know, I made the joke in our Discord channel that Mo's on another planet right now, and it's a good thing because it allowed Nabby to be the best player on earth for the first half yesterday. Because I don't think anybody is getting a shot 
at being the number one player on the planet, number one player in the league. You know, the league will still find a way to give somebody else the uh, player of the month. But what Mo's doing right now, I think it's 15 goals and five assists, which leads the club in both factors to create 20 goals in our first 13 games that we've not uh, lost any of is pretty amazing. And scoring against all the big clubs. I think, I mean, it has come to a spot where you can almost sense the concern anytime Mo gets the ball. Like you can kind of sense the concern of the defender anytime he gets the ball. And that obviously affects everything else. Everybody's like, what is he going to do now? And half the time he does what he does. And the other half the time he's has been, yeah, very good at distributing the ball and creating for others, which, you know, he did several times yesterday, like creating chances as well. I mean, the thing with Keita is, so let's talk about Keita. I feel like he is totally different than any of the other midfielders we've had over the last two, three seasons. And that's why, you know, when you say Coutinho, I think it's the closest thing we've gotten to Coutinho that everybody feels like, you know, everybody has been talking about every freaking offseason. We need a playmaker and stuff like that. Like, you know, we're getting a point guard. But my only concern with him is I think, you know, defensively, and, you know, when we talk about the Atletico Madrid game, and I know, kind of like Bickler says, I don't look at those. I mean, I understand those numbers in terms of tackles, but I think his style of play is a very high risk, high reward kind of a style. So when he's counter pressing yesterday, he wins those balls and he has done this whenever he's healthy and he creates and his immediate goals usually because now we've kind of like, you know, gotten our numbers up there. And obviously our numbers include, you know, Mo, Mane and Bobby and stuff like that. But when he does that on our ends defensively, he becomes a liability. And he did, like, I watched this game like three times now, like I said. One of them is one eye as I was working. But he did that, like I said, in two, three different yesterday. Well, he'll take the ball at midfield. And maybe because we're used to it or I'm used to it after watching this team like night and day for these like last few years, especially with, you know, Handel, Milner, you know, Genie. Trent is open on the right-hand side, and he would kind of, like, expect the ball to go there. Whereas he will actually take somebody on. He took somebody on twice in our half of the field. One of them was on the circle. One of them was right behind the circle and lost the ball. And that obviously becomes – it's the same thing as him winning the ball going over there instead of playing that simple pass. And the issue with that is because of how we play, when he does that and he loses the ball, Trent, who would normally get that ball – is past midfield now because he's expecting the ball to come there and it does not because he kind of like tries to take somebody on and create mm -hmm. something. And I think that's part of like probably my concern with him. And I think that's mostly on Klopp and, you know, for us to figure out or him to learn more when to take those risks and when not to, when to play the, maybe it's a bit more boring to him, but, do the Milner play, if you will, and, you know, like play the easy pass as opposed to try to take somebody on. What's your take on that, Bickler? I mean, because I agree with you in terms of, like, the numbers. I know he wins a lot of tackles, but then we did see the defending in the Atletico Madrid game, which we'll get to next. And I know there were, you know, especially the second goal. Was that the second goal that, you know, he did weave through, like, a bunch of people? But still, that's almost causes. When we talk about United, for example, and when we say – in our first goal, McTominay just steps up like an idiot 
and everything kind of like goes from there. It's like pass, pass, pass. Nobody's close to the ball. Salah, Keita, we score. And I feel like it's the same thing. That missed tackle in midfield makes everybody shift, and that causes the goal. And obviously in the first goal, he kind of like, I mean, that's kind of like, you know, like a schoolboy play to let that guy take the line when you're like covering the short corner and stuff. But Bickler, what is your take on it? Because I know we do not see eye to eye mostly with Galley. So I'm going to come to Galley as well so he can counter my stuff. <laughs> but what do you have, Bickler? Yeah. No, I mean, I think I think we kind of I, I think we we see Nabi the same way. I, I mean, I totally agree with you. Um, I mean, we're used to a midfield that really works short triangular passing in quick succession when it hits big switches, right? Um, if they need to to sort of rotate and fluctuate and sort of refresh that offense, that's what happens. And Nabi's a different cat; like he gets it and he wants to. He says, "Screw the triangle! I'm going to drive through it." And uh, I think that's a really good midfielder to have when we play teams that stack eight in the box against us. When we see teams that play a low block defense, I think that's what you need because you need somebody to go in and pull that block out of position because one player breaks that bank, those two channels, and then you've got options where instead, you know, like previously our option has been, oh, we're just going to have Trent just – endlessly pump balls into the box and hope something falls. And that's not, you know, that's, we've seen how productive that isn't. Um, so I think Navi is a good, I think he's a good option to have in that regard. Um, I still believe he can develop. I still believe that he can add to his game and become better defensively uh, in terms of specifically of his positioning, but you're right. I mean, he's a, he's a riverboat gambler. Like he's, he is, he goes in, into high-risk challenges where if he doesn't come out and win the duel, you're in a really, really bad spot. Um, and on the flip side of that, it looks really good when he wins it. You know, I think I think back to last year versus Crystal Palace, like he, we scored a really early goal basically because he just gambled and won one in the channel and just fed it over and we were up 1-0. So, I mean, you take the good and the bad with Nabby, right? I think the truth with him lies somewhere in the middle. I don't think he's like a – I don't think he's a, a – a, a, a world beater that just hasn't found form through injury. I don't think he's garbage. I think he's, I think he's in the middle there. And I, I still do think, I don't think, you know, Cosgrove asked earlier in the chat channel, do you take the 25 million pounds for, for Nabi next summer or do you hang on to him? Right? Like for me, I don't think it's an either or. And I think our ownership has proven over the course of time that if we see somebody who we believe is good enough for the starting 11, we'd rather run the contract down. Like, uh, then, uh, then sell them at a reduced price. 25 is still a good grip. I get that. I think, you know, if we see an additional midfielder come in, I think we could see a different type of midfielder and then have more flexibility. You know, I have been banging on about this, but I'm a firm believer in Yuri Tillemans. If that, if that happened, I mean, I still think you've got some really good flexibility in there and you have some bit pieces, like you have some more directional pieces that carry the ball more like uh, Chamberlain, uh, like Ox can do that, and, and Jota can do that if you move him back a little bit. So I think it allows for a little bit of flexibility. But for the most part, I agree with your kind of assessment of how he plays. Uh, Megan makes a really good point uh, in the chat channel uh, in terms of like how he worked very well with Bobby. Uh, I think we do lack that in our midfield sometimes. I mean, we kind of expect – uh, Mo and Mane sometimes have filled that empty area behind. And obviously they get a lot of their goals that way by playing central coming from the wings. But yeah, they did make a good deal where K 
Keita likes making those runs to go forward and take advantage of that. But, I mean, I think, like I said, the high-risk, high-reward thing, that kind of goes back to we have a player on our hands. I mean, barring, you know, we solving the injury issues and then, you know, hopefully this one is not as bad. I think if he keeps playing and kind of like gets used to the system and we kind of get used to him, I agree with Paul. I think we stick with what we know rather than, you know, cut our losses short and then, you know, like roll the dice because it takes a long time, especially in this midfield galley, for somebody to kind of learn the system and have Klopp's confidence and trust. And that's it. Now, listen, I Navi makes mistakes and he is a gambler and I'm not – I'm not disputing that. What I question is, is why are Nabby's gambles and mistakes, right? Why is his gambles that turned into mistakes talked about over and over and over and dwelled on, yet one out of every four times Curtis Jones touches the ball, he takes one too many touches. He because of what we paid for him. Over. He turns the ball over all over the pitch. He is an aggressive player, but all we talk about is that he's this driving factor and he's a guy who shoots from outside the box. And I hate to say it, what it sounds like is is he's a fun, goofy-looking Liverpool kid, and we want to root for the Liverpool kid, but the $60 million guy who got given number eight and hasn't been able to stay healthy is the problem. Thiago turned the ball over for the entire first half of last season in bad places all over the pitch, picked up a yellow card, and gave us crazy eyes every time he did it, right? But we didn't talk about that at all. But we talk about Nabby not staying fit. Tiago's been out more minutes and more days than he's been healthy in his LFC career. Yeah, I think it goes back to what Bickler is saying, though. I think the price tag and the expectation is a big part of that. But that's on fans. I'm sorry. That's where I look at it and say that Klopp doesn't care about the price tag because Klopp puts in eight because Klopp decided he would play Harvey Elliott. Over a 19-year-old kid with no experience over every other certified midfielder he had because he felt he earned the job. And he did it with Jones last year. And then when Jones kind of got a little too big for his britches and started turning the ball all over, getting a little bit and trying to turn on the, on the sidelines in tight games and started turning the ball over and causing goals, he found himself not even on the match day squad on the bench. And at the beginning of this season, he found himself out of it completely. Because I think that's that's that learning lesson. And I think that Nabby has put in the work to earn more minutes. And I think Jurgen Klopp's man management of starting him in this game is what makes him the best manager in the Premier League, followed probably closely by Pep. And what Pep is doing right now to Sterling by basically not even putting him in the match day squad, you want your agent to talk about you not being happy? You won't play for this club until you make it right. You're not – you know, he had two – youth players on the bench yesterday and a fit Sterling sitting in the crowd. And I think that's something Klopp would do. That's something that we would do. And I think what he did yesterday with Cato was brilliant. It's too bad he got hurt because I think if he finishes that 90 minutes and feels good about himself, you know, we keep building on, you know, what has been happening, which is more consistent play. And to Paul's point, learning when to press and when not to. And I think that's, what a run of matches with the front with the top eleven would actually do for him, and he's just never been able to get that, and that's on him. He's got to stay fit. But selling him doesn't make sense to me. You waited too no, long. No, I don't think so either. I think you know, like like Megan says, it is a tough midfield to play in, and it is a lot of responsibility and not a lot of glory. And he is not that kind of player, so it's kind of like an adjustment on our end where we've had over the last 
I don't know, three, four, five seasons, you know, the famous boring midfields. Uh, I mean, we have midfielders who are, you know, the blue collar, if you will, who are going to run around, win the ball, and then feed the guys up front. And I think Keita is not exactly that kind of player. It's just getting the most out of him. But I agree with Bickler. I think the price tag is a big reason for that. Like a lot of the criticism and the expectations, not only the price tag, but we waited so long for this guy. And I think yeah. all that time we watched him, he was, you know, the Bundesliga player of the year. Like, he was just like, oh, they're getting this amazing guy. And then, you know, we really has never – and. Uh, it could be unfair, like you're saying, Gally. Maybe the expectation was too high. I don't think it's unfair to have that expectation because of the price tag. But I do agree in the fact that maybe – did we set it too high, Paul? Yeah, I mean, we probably did, but I don't know how we couldn't. I mean, when you, when a player wins Bundesliga Player of the Year and we pay that kind of money and we have to wait that long, I don't know how you don't. I, and honestly, I think, I think maybe even if you look at his injuries, if, like, they were – contact injuries i think we might even feel differently now i think it's the the the, the type and manner of the injuries uh the stubbing of the toe on the grass the, the soft tissue injuries i think those are ones that like really kind of get the fans because then you're like well dude is he like a lemon is he just broken is he not durable enough like you know like it's it's and then you start getting a little bit of buyer's remorse so i think it's a combination of like our expectations and just the reality of what happens when a player goes through a lot of non-contact injuries. Isn't that exactly what we saw with Tiago though? And exactly what we've seen what for we sure. But in the past, for sure. But I think that with Tiago, I think we saw him as a luxury ad. I think he was, he was brought in as like a plan B, like this is what we're going to do when people stack the box against us. We got this guy, right? I like At least that was my expectation. And I know a lot of people had a similar expectations, we also were very aware of his injury history. It was discussed at length. So was Kanate's. So I think we had tempered and adjusted expectations with Tiago coming in. And then we saw him in training take the ball in midair, and then we all adjusted our expectations unreasonably. <laughs> it is true. I, I I mean, think, yeah, that's a good point. We did see him as the cherry on top uh, to an already, you know, like a ridiculous team. So it was just like, oh, if you don't have the cherry, you don't have the cherry kind of deal. But – I mean, you're right. He did get – I mean, we talked about it a lot, about all the yellow cards and all the set pieces he, like, gifted opponents and his infamous shocked look after every foul and stuff like that. But, yeah. <laughs> but um, I think, yeah, it's kind of like the expectations and knowing what we're getting, whereas, like I say, yeah, he was kind of like the chair. So let's go back to the Madrid game. Um and because that kind of like what the K the conversation obviously it's a huge win away. And going back to what you were saying in the very beginning of the podcast, yet another class, well, not a classless manager, Ole, to be fair, is he's kind of like the gentlemanish kind of dude. Uh, it was more like his players that were kind of uh, being the jerks. Uh, but what do you say about the Madrid game, Gally? Yeah, so great win, obviously. You know, it's great coming out gangbusters. I still haven't figured out how Mo got credit for that first goal, but I think that just shows when you're on a planet like him, he has hit the levels of Ronaldo and Messi because they basically bend the rules to give Messi more goals. I'm pretty <laughs> sure they had five more Barcelona goals in his career just this month in, while he's been in France. In France. Um, and I don't know how they, the dubious goals committee in Europe was like, yeah, let's just give that to Mo Salah, even though like he celebrated with Milner after Milner tapped it. 
but they said it went off the, the defender and it was on net. So great for Mo. Um, great to bag an early brace there. Kata's wonder strike was awesome. Once again, he almost looked like I don't even want to celebrate because you people don't even believe I should be on the pitch, let alone doing this. Um, I liked what Klopp said after the match that he had to make the change and bring in Fabinho. Uh, he knew there needed to be a change and it had more to do with the tactics of who was on the pitch than it was taking Nabby off. Someone had to come off. It's not always the guy who comes off who's causing the problems. And that for me was him both building him up and almost preparing in my mind that he was probably going to get that start at United on Sunday, knowing they were still going to have a depleted squad. Um, so I thought the man management was great. If I was Nabby, I would ask to never go to Madrid again, seeing that he couldn't make 45 minutes at Real Madrid last year, and he just got over the 45-minute mark at Atletico this year, um, sat on the bench for the Champions League final. So I, I might never want to go back to Madrid with Liverpool again. But the acts of uh, Diego Simeone, from the way he acted on the sidelines, how petulant he was, the ridiculous arguing with the fourth official after the red card, um, his unprofessional responses, and then taking off and not shaking Jurgen Klopp's hand to the point where Klopp was literally shaking ball boy's hands and physio's hands. And like, literally, you could see him. He was walking around, like, just shaking strangers' hands. Like, he would have shook the fans' hands. Like, because I think deep down he knew that was wrong and that was classless and that shouldn't have been done. And I think Simeone actually thought it was a mind game. Like, I'm not going to shake his hand because I got to go play him in two weeks at Anfield. And I think it's the worst thing they could have done. I think they set up themselves to get drugged at Anfield as long as we show up defensively solid. Because that looks like a weak team to me. As good as Jao Felix and Griezmann look together, um, that is a depleted Atletico team. La Liga is way down if that is one of the best teams in that league. And I honestly believe that they're in for uh, a little bit of a beatdown. And I wouldn't be surprised if there's a little fun poke at Diego throughout the match by the Liverpool faithful. And now they're not going to have Griezmann either on the away game, obviously, because of the red card and everything. So, yeah, it, it's funny you say that with the Keita and the Madrid trips because that was actually what scared me. And I think I mentioned it in the fan chats on the Discord channel that whenever I see a huge lineup change and, you know, us trying to get out of the box and do something tactical genius move like we did against Real Madrid, it usually kind of flops, which made me even more worried. But what a great game that was. So, uh, Bickler, what is your take on the Madrid game? Obviously, it's huge three points and kind of like, I mean, pretty much seals the deal for the group. Uh, what do you make of the game overall? Uh, I mean... <laughs> I'm probably one of the few people that actually enjoys Atletico matches because it's like, I mean, Simeone's basically a Bond villain. He he manages teams exact he manages teams exactly how he played. He's a dirty little cheat. And I, I just think like his entire team plays that way. You know what you're in for. Uh I don't know. Like I find the consistency uh somewhat refreshing. Like I, I don't think that he like I I, I mean, I guess I'm a little bit of a dirtbag, so I appreciate the authenticity and just him embracing it, right? Um, and, like, I, you know, I just hope nobody gets hurt on the second leg because that's the one thing that worries me about them is they are not afraid to just go after knees if they need to. And at that point, they probably will. Um, I thought the first half was the most 45 like, – was the most, like, quintessential 
uh, 45 minutes of Navi. It's Navi rolled up into 45 minutes, scores a banger and gets torched for two goals. Like that's just Navi. Like, and like, I, I kind of giggled because we won, but like, it is the most like Navi thing ever for that to happen. Um, I thought, uh, I mean, I thought the referee in that game had some serious stones like to, to overturn and make that call. Like, so a hat tip to him because like, he was not swayed by that crowd or that the the Atletico intimidation um, when they were surrounding him and touching him. Like he did a good job of just putting his foot in the ground and in grabbing grabbing that game by the balls and like making the right call. So I was not expecting that. I was pleasantly surprised. I want to see more of that in football. You know, I mean, that's the way the game should be. Whether he made it out of Madrid alive is probably another <laughs> issue, but like, I mean, yeah, there's 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 loads to talk about in that match. It was a fun one for sure. I understand when they play their pretty football and they used to do a little bit of their counter and they had tactical wins. They don't look like that team anymore, though. Though they yeah. look like a confused team because they don't have the athletic players that they used to have and the speedsters. Like they don't have the young Griezmann that could actually lead Atletico to something that looked like they could win something. So. Well, I mean, I, I would think of it as like a sophisticated Spaniard getting drunk in Burnley. I mean, that's what it looks like. I was like just going to gonna say, though, don't we give them a little too much credit when we come on here and rip on Sean Dyche for setting his guys up to break ankles. And the only thing they do is they do it in warm weather and a nice climate in Madrid. They're yeah, that's the least they can do, you know? They're, they're Burnley, yep. Yep. They're Burnley, but they win a little. And part of the reason they win is because 75% of the league sucks. And it's shit. Well, I think it's frustrating because, like, I mean, yeah, you can say what you want with the La Liga, but I think the frustrating thing about them is they have the quality to not play like that. Like, they have the right. quality to open up and beat people on sheer talent if they want to. But I will say this. If there was a cameo, and for all the people out there that talk about whether or not we were really in on Jao Felix when he was up originally and whether we would be interested next year when he plans to leave Madrid, either this summer or next, he would be a perfect – long-term replacement for Bobby Firmino because he does everything dropping back. He plays like a false nine. He creates goals. He scores goals. And you can see the class. I mean, Griezmann got the goals, but really it was Felix's movement and the interchange that they had. Let's be honest, that touch by Griezmann to take the ball away from Virgil and then sweep it past Allison with one movement on the second goal was purely world-class, and that must make the people at Barcelona just get sicker and sicker in their stomach than seeing Messi dressed up in his little pretty little light blue outfit in Paris sitting on the bench not scoring goals there either. Um, because that, that wrapped up everything that Griezmann does well with his movement, his touch, and his finishing, and I think they saw exactly zero of that for $185 million that they paid for him at Barcelona. And uh, I couldn't be happier to see all of them struggling for overspending. And for everybody in our chat group right now that's been clamoring about opening up the blank checkbook, just take a look at what Barcelona did for the last 10 years in creating an unbalanced wage structure and paying way too many people high wages and upsetting their own locker room. It's the reason that they put out a lineup that only had four senior players over the age of 25 to play in an El Clasico this weekend. And they were embarrassed on their home pitch. So I want to sign Mo to anything we can, but we have to keep it within structure of what is already 
I think the fifth or sixth largest wage bill in the world. So we've got to be in reason here when we when we throw out that we want to buy this stuff. We just have to. I actually like that Burnley Atletico Madrid analogy because, I mean, they are definitely not as bad as Burnley, though. I'll give them that. I mean, they have that La Liga theatrics, people flopping around and things like that. Uh, I don't think it's as harsh as Burnley, but it's still ugly to watch, you know, how they play. And I figured, like, okay, that's their style, kind of like, like you're saying, Bickler, is from, like, a reflection of the coach which I understand and that's how I mean that's how they play really for the last since he's been there but but going back to it I thought you know in that game it was the coach that was the the asshole if you will whereas against United we saw like players kind of like acting out if you will uh kind of like throwing some tantrums do you get that more as well, I guess they're United players, so it's kind of natural. But aside from that, is it just just was it just frustration, or is it just frustration at their coach, or just I think you're getting your head bashed in? And I mean, I've done it where you got to take it out on somebody. I think the difference between those two is Simeone runs that show, and oh, I don't think Ole has that dressing room, and I don't think he's had it for a long time. And you're sure as shit not going to have it when you acquire Ronaldo. That's now his team. Like, so I think you have two teams. I mean, Ronaldo's kicking a fucking teenager on the ground, you know? Like, I mean, he that's like they're gonna embody that persona. They're gonna embody that that. And I think you just have two different situations. I think you have a manager who who runs the system and runs those players and has the respect because of what they've won. And I think you have another club that's trying to be great again that doesn't the manager doesn't have any sway at whatsoever. What do you think, Gally? I mean, like I say, I can see, I mean, Pogba looked like, yeah. I mean, when he got the red card, he just laughed it off and said, I don't even know if he needed a freaking shower, but at least he had the opportunity to take the shower earlier. Uh, I mean, he was only out there, what, like 15 minutes? I'm pretty sure you're not allowed to shower for at least 72 hours after putting that much dye in your hair. And seriously, I'm so sick and tired of his hair, and I'm sick and tired of the fact that this world-class player who gets on the pitch for France and once looked like the best midfielder in the world. To be honest, you know, Paul made a great comment about you sign Ronaldo and you lose the team. To be honest, Ole had no chance because, really, he had to take over what was the biggest mistake that they made, which was spending £90 million on Paul Pogba. He's never lived up to any of the money. He's never lived up, to be totally honest, other than, you know, a really good run in the World Cup, he's never lived up to any of his own billings as a player. He was never the best midfielder in Syria, And, you know, he played in a midfield with Pirlo. And, you know, these guys doing all the hard work. And he was able to be creative and go forward. And now he's asked to do something. And then... When he refuses to do it, they replace him with players who will. And his response is, is, go on out there, help us get a hold of this midfield. Go on out there, get on the ball, show us your class, just help change this, stem this, hold this to four nothing. And he gets sent off in 15 minutes. It's criminal. It, I mean, it's really criminal. And to be honest, they should have been down to eight men. 
Ronaldo should have been sent off regardless of the fact that he caught the ball. You still, VAR should have sent him off, but it didn't because it was Ronaldo. If that was Cavani, he's in the showers at 45 minutes plus four. Fred could have been sent off for a tackle right after it. And Harry Maguire absolutely stopped a goal-scoring opportunity by taking Jota down on the box. All of that happened before Pogba goes asinine crazy and comes two feet over the ball and catches the player. And he's, you know, we're saying we hope he's not that hurt. We're lucky he didn't catch his standing leg and that thing didn't snap. I mean, that was a really, really bad tackle. And I'd argue the worst performance yesterday was by Anthony Taylor for not knowing that that was a red card in real time for not looking at the monitor himself after he knew he was kicked because the uh, the side official actually said he saw Ronaldo kick at, so he should have went and taken a look or at least looked into it. And he lost complete control during that little fracas. He just wanted to get to halftime like everybody else at United. Yeah, and it almost seemed like their version of – his version of the mercy rule <laughs> is what it looked like. They were like, you guys are already kicking their ass. Come on, kind of thing. And it was just like the rules went out the door. I think what's interesting is we always hear, we always hear that what the VAR official is saying is, hey, go have a look at it. And if you look at that, if you watch that game back and they show Anthony Taylor, he's got his finger to his ear because he's listening, and he says, oh, it's a red. So they straight up were like, it's a red card, dude. <laughs> like, so he went and over I there. I thought went, that was kind of yeah, yeah. He, he didn't want to look. I just thought it was interesting. I thought it was interesting because we're always under the impression that they're like, Oh, we're not allowed to say, go look at it, you know. But like he he <laughs> clearly he clearly moused to the to the mouthpiece, oh, it's a red. So they were like, they definitely were like, Atwell was just basically like, look, dude, it's a red. <laughs> like this one is pretty bad, kind yep. of thing. Yeah. But I am yeah, glad he I mean, went and looked at it himself. I am glad he went and looked at it himself, though, and I want them to do more of that, especially on the red cards and the penalty decisions. If if I've made a call on the field and you want me to change it, I feel like the referee should go take a look and make that change for themselves because then they own it. Then they're not waiting for Stuart Atwell or some, one of these idiots in a booth somewhere at Stockley Park to go you know, make the decision for them. You know, if it's blatant and it was a dive and we don't need to waste the time and you called it a pen, but it's just not even close. It was a dive. Call it a dive. Give them a yellow card and move on. Wipe off the penalty or offsides, et cetera. But I do feel like in these judgment situations where a call was made on the field, they need the refs to go over there and do it more often because it's the only thing that's going to make the refs realize it's still going to be on you to correct your mistake or to answer for it after the fact. And that's what I really like about what they're doing this year compared to last year when it comes to these VAR checks. It's kind of hard to know. Like, I mean, I guess if it was a close game or a tight game and stuff, you know, we would probably like dissect those calls a lot more here. But I don't even know if the calls would go that way if the game was tight. I just feel it was partially because, yeah, the game was over in everybody's minds. Uh, really, once the fourth goal went in. But when, the, when we started the second half with the fifth goal, the game was pretty much over in everybody's minds, probably including Anthony Taylor and stuff. So, okay, real quick takes over here because I want three things to get to, and we're going to have to wrap this up really fast over here. So, one, Preston, 
Uh, obviously, uh, we're going to be pretty tight, especially in midfield. We did not even talk about Milner's injury, but with him out, I would think at least to the international break. I didn't see it, but I heard it was a hamstring, so automatically you're talking like three to four weeks uh, based on like how bad the strain is and stuff like that. Uh, Preston game, uh, kind of like a good chance to see the backups, uh, Bickler's favorite, Divock and stuff like that, right, Bickler? But sure, just throw all the kids in. I mean, I don't care if Divac plays or not. <laughs> just throw the kids in. Get Gordon out there, Clarkson, Morton. Get them all in there. Yeah, in the back line, you're going to see the kids play too. I think if Nico's healthy, he plays along with Shamikas and probably Gomez and maybe even, you know, as Paul likes to refer to him, you know, um, as LFC America posters would tell us, uh, Phillips, our second best center back going into the beginning of this season. Maybe he gets his uh, long awaited. Um, he gets to put the uniform back on again that he never thought he would wear. Um, and I think if Kelleher's healthy, it was weird not having him on the bench uh, for the United game, which I don't know what that was about, but I think it is a mix. I think you got to play a couple of the kids in the midfield uh, to Paul's point. I think you're going to have to play a few of them. You know, Jones will probably get his start. I think Ox, Taki, and Divac will probably start up front, though I'd rather see Ox in the midfield and start Gordon on the wing um, and reward him for, you know, what seems like a really good preseason and, and early part of training. So I, I, I would go a really young lineup, but I would have the – I hate to say this. I would have the hitters on the bench because if it means bringing on Mane or Firmino or Jota to go bag a couple goals late in that match to secure moving to the next round – I'm all for it because I, I, I want to be in this division as long as we – I want to be in this competition as long as we can to keep giving these guys minutes because I really believe we're going to need these guys in January and February uh, to play meaningful minutes in the starting 11. And I just think now is the time to get them those minutes and the confidence. Especially Mane with not not getting a lot of minutes. I mean, we didn't even get the chance to talk to, about that, but I kind of feel like he will be the first one coming in as the, one of the senior players tomorrow. So let's jump to the second topic I want to talk to, which was which is obviously next weekend against Brighton, especially in midfield. So two questions for you, Bickler. Who is partnering Van Dyke, and who is the trio in midfield? And I guess up front three two for your lineup. So Brighton Fab is healthy. Let's go with that. Right. So the pairing, the center back pairing, man. I go Kanate in this one. Brighton's a tall team. They're a big team. They put that like six foot seven guy on the wing versus last year and just absolutely destroyed us. Um, I mean, I, they're a pretty, they've got some size to them uh, with Dunk, especially on set pieces. I'd go Kanate there. Uh, nothing against Matip. I think Matip has been our best playing defender on the year, but a Kanate start makes sense to me. Uh, in that spot in the midfield, I think you got to go Fab, Hendo, and Jones. That's that's what I that's what I'm doing. Um, I'm assuming Nabby's not going to be back for probably a month. Um, so that's that's what I'm doing, and I think the rest of the lineup sort of writes itself. How about you, Gally? Um, I think Montev will get the start because I don't see Klopp sitting in three games in a row, even though I didn't see him playing him three times in a week twice in the season either. Um, but I, I, I do think that, and this is what Klopp does, right? He gives someone their big spot start. Remember he gave Robo the big start in October after not playing him at all for two months. And then he never got on the pitch again until after Thanksgiving. And we were like, but he finally got on the pitch. Why do I have to watch Alberto Mourinho again? Why? Um, and I, I think we might see Matsup and we won't be cursing it. Um, 
I think in the midfield, we might see Ox. And, I, you know, I think Jones will probably get the shot first and foremost. But at some point, he's going to give Ox some run as well with this starting 11. And, and I, I do believe he's trying more than before to play a deeper squad, even though it's not a strength of his and not something he loves to do. Because I genuinely believe he knows for them to compete on all levels and all fronts, he's going to need every player in this squad to play meaningful minutes, especially through those periods of January and February when we are going to be missing a few of the players when they go off to AFCON or if we get any injuries. And, you know, I think someone mentioned hopefully Tiago's fit. Fortunately for Brian, he won't be back till after the next international break. So, you know, I think we're going to be playing with a four-man midfield really until that next international break. And I think it could mean some minutes for some of these kids. I just think we're going to have to. Or it's going to mean Jota dropping back into midfield, which isn't the worst thing in the world. He did it for Wolves. He can do a job. He clearly works hard enough going back. Um, but I just think it's it's going to be a big ask. But I do think guys are going to have to step up. Yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see. I'm more intrigued to see, because I do see Jones actually for the third person in midfield. But who is going to be Van Dyke's partner going into next weekend? And he did play great and coming off of like a, you know, obviously that's a huge confidence builder because you are going against, it wasn't just, oh, he did great at a home game against Watford or something like that. I mean, it was, this was meant to be on paper, a tough game. What a joyous goddamn Sunday. I mean, we could, we, we ran a lot longer than our regular podcast, but I mean, heck we could talk about that game for three, four hours and I can still find more stuff to talk about and enjoy because, ah, this will last me months with my brother, I can tell you that. But what will also last months could be Kelly's lead oh, in fantasy geez. football. Hell so, yeah. Personally, do not care much about uh, fantasy football, even though Bickler had a huge week. I had a really shitty week till Mo showed up. I just captained Mo and that just lead the way uh, so I can survive. I didn't even have to page down this week to see where Bickler is at. So uh, our main Because I'm four points Bickler, behind you, buddy. Four points is a lot in fantasy, is what I was told. You know, you haven't. <laughs> you, you, you know, I just want you to know that you haven't had a better week than me in four weeks now. Just want you to know that. You know what's concerning about that is that you're constantly checking my score because that worries me. But my only goal is really to beat Bickler anyway. Doesn't matter what I rank up. I could be 104th if Bickler is 105th. I'm happy. And the second thing I really want to see is Kelly. And I don't even care if she be, be, wins this thing, which would be awesome. But overtaking our friend, our resident fantasy expert, which I guess should be Kelly now. Uh, so I don't know if you can give her like, give us her email address, but we do need an expert to talk fantasy on American Scotser at times. But I was looking at, I mean, she had 116 points, and that's like the most I see over here. And she is now fourth with 633 points. And hold on. Let me scroll down to you real quick, Kelly. It's good to see that our lunchtime Zoom calls are really paying off. I get together on Thursdays. At a measly 602 points. Yeah. And like I say, move, I know four points is a lot. So I know for a fact 29. Four is probably nothing, obviously. I'm just kidding. But 29 is pretty. 
pretty steep there, buddy. No, so she are you ever going to come back from this? Or we were going to look like a bonus check. She made she made a power move. I'll give her credit. I helped her a little bit with it um, after last week when I refused to help her. Um, that was my anniversary present to her. I told her she got too close and she could do it herself. <laughs> You're such a romantic. She didn't, she didn't even cook. She didn't even cook. Help me with dinner or clean anything for a week, and I basically realized uh, I should probably help her with fantasy. I should probably actually thank the lucky stars that I have a, a, a life partner that watches football with me every single week, allows me to do all this crazy ass shit. And put as much effort into fantasy football as I do. The only reason she's good at it is she had to listen to me uh, argue about it and talk about it and and get pissed off about it happening. Uh, but yeah, proud of her. You know, she made a boss wild card move, moved all the way up in one week, and I think she's top fifty thousand overall in the entire game right now, um, which is pretty unbelievable when there's eight point four million people playing. So she's pretty pumped and. Uh, you know, she's just riding the Mo train like all the good fantasy players out there. It's amazing what happens when the best player in the world makes you look better and better every week. Yeah, she's I can't, in the league. And as humble I can't as wait till I can't wait till next year when Galley pretends like he can't figure out why the Wi-Fi is not working. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Pretty much it's gonna you know, as humble as it is that you're taking credit for her success, how the hell are you gonna make up these 31 points? Is my question. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You know what it won't be? It won't be giving recommendations to Matus in our Discord channel and then going ahead and doing the opposite. Then Matus yells at me like, hey, I kept Joda because you said to keep him because he'd start this week and that would be smart. And then I take a minus four to move Joda out, bring in Havertz, move Lukaku out, and bring in Vardy. Yeah, that didn't work so well. Joda the, the hilarious thing about that is that Matus loves Havertz. <laughs> I think so, I, honestly, if all to our listeners here, if you are into fantasy football, uh, definitely join our fan chat on Discord. We have a special channel just for fantasy football. And as I was reading you, Mateusz, and Ben, who's actually listening to us right now, talk about fantasy football, I was like, I don't belong here. <laughs> Yep. I was looking for Bickler on the other corner of the room yep. so we can just yep. sneak out the back door and be we're like, just gonna, we we're just going to let the nerds hang out in here. <laughs> they were what? like talking about phrases and numbers that was very foreign to me. I was like, yeah, I should yeah. not even be here. It, it Clearly with 8.4 million people playing the game out there across the world, it's kind of a big topic. Actually, Liverpool has the largest supporters group, over 400,000, I believe, Liverpool supporters playing this thing. Um, so might not be the worst thing for us to include little segments or even get some more folks and some posts about it in our fan chat and discord. If you have ideas for it, feel free to share them with us. And who knows, maybe one day we'll even do a, the thing uh, is we're going to need somebody who knows what they're talking about. So is Kelly going to be able to join? Well, I was going to say, I I got an idea. (laughs) We might be able to get the person to, uh, lead the charge. I, Ben, Ben did send me a private message and was like, just checking to see if Kelly is going to be around for my lineup review net this week. I'm not sure <laughs> I need to send anything to you anymore. So, uh, yeah, it's my, my wife is out there ready to give you your fantasy help. And, uh, you know, I just need Paul's therapist number and, and we'll all be good. Speaking of Paul's therapist number, I know we're way over time, but this is what I live for. I only do this podcast so I can get somebody to rant on it. Paul, <laughs> tell us how you feel about 
the fantasy football lineups and how you cannot change your lineup with the players. You have approximately like a minute to just go ape shit. So go ahead. <laughs> I think, well, I got in trouble last time we did this because I just said it was essentially the most British thing I've ever seen to take somebody else's idea and then make it shitty. Like that's, that's what I don't understand about it. Like every other fantasy sport in the world, the players don't lock until like kickoff. Like that's when it, that's when the players lock. The, and the, my problem with like fantasy EPL is it doesn't matter how good your team is. If you don't guess the fucking lineup, right. You it's, it's almost like, it's not even for me. It's not even fantasy football. It's a lineup predictor game, and like that's what drives me crazy. Like I shouldn't be penalized because some manager doesn't know how to rotate his players, <clears throat> Klopp, or some manager. Like I mean, how can you possibly own a city player when they rotate every two and a half days? Like I, it's just like crazy to me. Like I don't get it. Like and I guess that's part of the charm of it, and part of what the diehards really love about it is that you got to keep up and guess on rotation. And to me, that's the part that makes me want to throw my computer into the ocean. Yeah, I know about the charm, but the only charm of it is watching Kelly beat Galley's numbers. That's about the only sure. charm I have charming, left in this game now. Very charming. It's about as charming as a two foot. It's about as charming as a two foot tackle. And if I could lay one in on Simeone right now, I would. Ah, uh, we'll have yeah, the we've really gone off the two weeks. Well, gentlemen, uh, we went way over our regular time, but there was a lot to talk about and. Probably could have gone another hour or two, but thank you for joining me. And thanks to all those commenting and joining us. Uh, definitely join our Discord channel because we were doing a lot of chat and smack talk over there too. And some really high-tech fantasy football talk if you're really into it. I would definitely recommend it. And uh, we'll see you guys next week. Hopefully, we'll talk about two more wins. None of them will be as glorious as the one that we had yesterday, but we'll take him either way. Thanks a lot, everybody. See you guys next week.